Um, we are ready to receive this word tonight. Amen. We're going to get into it. So again, we're seeing what God says. I'm going to give a little bit of a backstory about what we're talking about tonight. So at the beginning of this year, we were so blessed and we were honored to be able to give our pastors a gift larger than we have been able to give them in the past. And so some of these uh, lessons that we learned came through and it was probably a couple weeks ago, God just kind of dropped in my heart. Like, here's some things that we learned from Operation Snowy Cookie. Um, and that was the, our code name for um, getting all the things together that, that we called for. Again, we were able to bless our pastors with a significant gift and we were very thankful for it. But I want to share some of those lessons because really those lessons were things that will help us to manifest uh, what God promises in our life. These are things that we keep with us and carry with us to help us to manifest the word of God. So a little bit of a backstory. I got a call. This was probably, what is this, 2022. We did this at the beginning of 2022. So it was sometimes probably, I think, in 2021. I got a call from Pastor Chris. Um, uh, Pastor Chris called and she said, I believe God just told me that we should give this specific amount to Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean for their birthdays. And I was like, let's do it. That'll be easy. That'll be that'll be super easy. Let's do it. And so she began to tell me not only was that the goal, uh, <laughs> Pastor Elvis, I'm going to say it, it was 50,000 each. OK, well, he said it. I wasn't going to say it. Um, so so she said we were going to do this amount. And I was like, that's easy. That's so doable. Like immediately, I just felt like that was the easiest thing in the world. I don't know where where that boldness came from, but I just felt like, oh, that's so doable. And then she said, um, I, I shared with Pastor Ralph and he said that April had also heard God say that this, this is something that we should do. So we have one witness, we have two witnesses. And then comes another witness, uh, our partner, Shantae Crockett. She said, I believe this is something that God told us to do. So now we have three people not talking to each other about this specific thing. God telling the same thing, the same amount to these people. So what did we do? We got busy to do or to see what God had promised. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, we're talking about seeing what God promised. Right. So we began to plan. Uh, we developed a committee. We shared the vision with the committee and we said, OK, how do we make this happen? Or really not even how do we make it happen? How do we listen to God to hear what he's saying so we can see what God has already said? So again, we're going to talk about some lessons that we learned along the way. We're going to talk about these things. And I believe you're going to be blessed tonight. I believe you're going to um, see some areas in your life where maybe you can say, oh, I need to change some things about the way I'm operating. OK, so the first lesson that, that God really began to show was um, pay attention and attend to the word that God gives you. Pay attention and attend to the word that God gives you. So many of us will hear a word from God and we immediately dismiss that word because it seems like it's too big to come to pass. God says, I want you to be a millionaire. God says, I, I'm calling you to to feed the homeless. I'm calling you to do to to be a CEO. I'm calling you to do these things. And we immediately go, yeah, that's not for now. That's not that's not for me, that's too big. And we begin to minimize what God said. But the word of God is a seed that needs to be watered. The word of God is a seed. Our hearts 
are our soil. So the word of God goes into our heart, but we have to water that seed if that seed is going to manifest. And how do you water the seed? You give attention to the word you attend to it. You take that word, you back to God and you meditate on that word. You allow that word to paint a picture in your mind and in your heart. When you get a word, uh, again, you have to see that word and allow it to be so real. What we begin to do is we begin to visualize ourselves seeing seeing ourselves give the, that gift to, to the Stricklands. We begin to speak over that word. We begin to prophesy over that word. We begin to take communion over that word. That word was done when we, when we said it was going to happen. We began to see it in our mind first before we started even having pledges. We began to get excited in our heart. Oh my gosh, you're going to be so excited. Oh my gosh, you're going to do this. Oh, Oh my gosh, what were we doing? We were feeding uh, or watering that word that God had given us. We prayed over the word. We took communion over the word and we allowed that word to become reality before it ever showed up in the natural. That's what you have to do when you get a word from God. You have to meditate on that word so strong, so much that you begin to see that word in your mind so much that when it shows up in the natural, you can't do anything. But yep, that's what I saw because you've seen it. You've got to begin to visualize that word. Take take that word, pay attention to it and attend to that word. Matthew, the 13th chapter um, and the 31st verse says, uh, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. That's so good. What is that parable talking about? It says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The word of God comes to us and it seems like it's so small, like a little bitty mustard seed. But you do what? You plant it in the field. What did we say that that soil is? It's our heart. You plant that word in your seed and you begin to water it. And though it starts off small, it begins to grow up. First, you see the blade. Then you see the full ear. Uh, or you, then you see the, the, the ear. Then you see the full ear. Then you see the whole stalk. Why? Because that word of God begins to get bigger and bigger in our hearts. It begins to get bigger and bigger. And then pretty soon you look back and you realize that your whole life is looking so different than it did years ago from some, from a word that started as a little bitty seed. Come on and say, say it doesn't take but one word from God to change my life. Put, put that in the comments. It doesn't take but one word from God to change my life. What many of us do, however, is we get the word and like I said, we dismiss it either altogether or we put it on the shelf until we think it's a better time. We say, well, you know what, one day. But what would have happened if we said, you know, God dropped in our hearts to give the Stricklands $50,000 each for their birthdays. But, you know, we just can't do that right now. None of us are, are balling like that. We can't do that right now. But man, one day that's going to be great when we're able to do that. Nope. We never would have saw the promise if we would have done that. You can't shelve the word of God for a time when it looks like it lines up in the natural. The word of God makes things in the natural line up. That as, as believers, we have to make what we see in the earth realm line up with what God has said in the heavenly realms. Um, so we, we plan and it's backed. Uh, we will we'll wait until we can see what God's or what we think looks more feasible in the natural. If we didn't attend to that word again, we would have just been talking. Many of us have been a part of conversations about, man, what would you do if you hit the lottery? 
and you're talking all the things that you would do if you hit the lottery. And most people don't even buy a lottery ticket. That's what a lot of believers look like. They get a word from God and they go, man, I wonder what that would be like. And then they just kind of daydream about it a little bit. And then they go, oh, well, they never participate in the process to get involved in it, to see the manifestation of what God called them to do. You can't get the word of God and go, oh, well, I think that's going to be great one day. I mean, that would be so cool. No, we have to get in there, take the word of God, hold on to it with with uh, a dogmaticness, a, a, a strong, almost a, a, a what's the word, a stubbornness that refuses to let go of what God said. So again, that first word is pay. I mean, that first lesson was pay attention and attend to the word of God. Amen, Kimberly. Uh, we have to participate in God's process. Our next lesson that we learned from Operation Snowy Cookie was that you can go faster when you don't drag people along. You can go faster when you're not spending your time trying to drag other people along. Now notice, I didn't say you go faster when you do it by yourself. That is uh, often a common myth that people say, you know, you can go faster if you're, you're by yourself. We're not talking about that. That's a belief that you can't trust in other people, or if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. We're not talking about that. That's not scriptural. God did not call us uh, to create or live life alone. However, we often get stuck when we're trying to drag people to a place that they have never committed that they wanted to go to. We get stuck when we are trying to drag people to a place that they have not committed to going to. Even Jesus taught his disciples in Mark the sixth chapter to shake off the dust from their feet when they share the word of God and people didn't want to hear it. He says, hey, don't stay there. Don't try to, to drag these people along. Simply shake the dust off your feet and you keep moving along. You keep moving along. He does not command them to stay and try to uh, pull people who aren't ready to go. God gives us choice. So he says, present the word, give them options. But at the end of the day, they have to make that choice to follow God or not. Um, it's actually a trick of the enemy he uses to paralyze us to stop us from progressing. It is a trick of the enemy to try to get to drag people along because it stops the progress from actually moving forward. Now, think about this. If I told I needed to tell 50,000 people today um, that they were going to I needed to give this message to 50,000 people. But as I start knocking on doors and spreading the word, I get stuck on the first two people who told me no, that they didn't want to come along with me on this journey. I would be so stuck there using my time to try to convince these two people that I miss out on all of the people that are ready and geared up, ready to go, right? So we have to realize that everybody is not ready. Everybody is not committed to go on the journey, but that is no excuse for us to stop and be disobedient to what God called us to do. Salespeople understand this very well. They understand that sometimes it's a numbers game. It says uh, you can share your message, your product to as many people as you can. Right. Uh, but we want to make sure we're getting it out to a lot of people and not getting stuck. We've seen that uh, so many times. God will tell you to do something and you keep trying. You get stuck trying to convince somebody again who is not committed to go along with you. Uh, we're trying to analyze. I wonder why they won't go. I'm trying to figure out why they won't move forward. And we're doing all this analyzing. God saying, look at all that harvest that's plenteous. Look at all of that harvest that's plenteous. And you're over here getting stuck because you're trying to wait on somebody um, 
that that has not fully committed to going where where I'm trying to take you. Now, and we're going to go back as we look at this from Operation Snow Cookie. We could have been tempted to stop and look at and try to figure out why certain people were not giving. We could have been tempted to go, well, look and see who's giving and who's not giving. Look and see about all of these things. But God began to clearly say, don't focus on what who's not on board you do what we told you to do just drive the the bus just drive the bus and i'm gonna bring the passengers um so so here's again we could have been really tempted to look at who wasn't given but god reminded us that our job was to cast the vision and not to pull people along he said cast the vision don't focus on pulling them along he told us not to focus on who is not a part of the journey and just because this was really important, just because FOC or the Stricklands have sold into certain people's lives did not mean that that's where the harvest was going to come from. Ooh, I'm going to say lie. Just because FOC or the Stricklands had sold into certain people's lives did not mean that that is where the harvest was going to come from. The Bible says that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. However, it does not so say wheresoever a man soweth, there shall he also reap. We get stuck sometimes because we are so focused on the fact that we sold into somebody or we poured into somebody. And when we need or felt like we needed something or we didn't get the help that from them, sometimes people can start to feel betrayed. They start to feel rejected. They start to feel neglected. But let me tell you something. God, if God is telling you to do something, it is on God to bring the harvest, not that person, not that place. God has a, a harvest for you. You can sow in Arkansas and God can bring your harvest from Japan. You can sow in Mississippi and God can bring your harvest from London. God is not limited. And if you have some people who are, if you're sowing in Arkansas and people in Arkansas aren't giving, God will say, I am unwilling to do without a quick prompt to do giver. So because you gave, I will raise up a people from wherever I have to, from the backwoods of Africa, if I have to, I will do what it takes to get my promises to the people of God. And it is so good and it's so powerful when we begin to understand that God is not limited to where you sown. He is, he is, uh, he's telling us to expand our expectation and quit dragging people who say they don't want to go. Quit trying to drag all of your, your, your people on board to get to see things the way you do. You do what God says and you allow God to use you as an inspiration, but don't get stuck trying to drag some people that are not committed to going where God has told you to go. Absolutely. Pastor Sean, stay the course. Uh, God had given us a word and we're trying to wait on our friends. We're trying to wait on our family to get on board. We're afraid of outgrowing people. We're afraid that um, that we're going to be talked about or maybe even ridiculed because of what they may say. But your obedience will take you farther. Your obedience will take you faster. I've You see it all the time on social media when people are having a small business and they will talk about how a stranger is quicker to support you than your friends and family. Well, well, here's the thing. They get so disgruntled because somebody in their on their friends list that they thought would support them didn't support them because they are thinking that if I if I would support them, they should support me. But expand your vision. You just do what God says and God will bring the supporters to you at the right time. What had God told what has God told you to do that you keep waiting on somebody else to get on board? You may be the trailblazer and you don't even realize that once you go forth, once you do what God told you to do, you will be inspiring other people and, and they will come along, but you have to go first.
you have to still obey God no matter what other people are doing. So lesson uh, lesson two was you will go faster and further if you don't try to drag other people along who are not committed to go on that journey with you. Lesson number three, the right people will treat you right. All right, go ahead and put that in there. The right people will treat me right. Now, have you ever been in a relationship that made you feel like you were asking for too much? You're just asking too much, that you're needy. They say stuff like you're needy. You're doing too much. You're asking for too much. You, you Your expectations are too high. You're, you're doing this. You're doing this. And then when you get out of that ex, out of that relationship and you go to a relationship that uh, they treat you right, and they're like, no, that's not too much. That's, that's minimum. That's basic stuff you're asking for. Why? Because the right people will treat you right. Okay. What we've been so accustomed to again trying to trying to make somebody love us, trying to force something that is not there. When you say, you know what, God, you have somebody out there. So if somebody, if this word is for somebody and God has told you to leave a relationship and you're afraid to do that, but you know you're not being treated right, you know they're not honoring you, you know they're not respecting you. Say, God, show me where my people are because the right people will treat me right. So when you get into your relationship that's um, having reciprocity, you begin to say, is this is this the way it's supposed to feel? Because this feels different from what I'm accustomed to. And God wants to show you um, that the right people will treat you right. The people who partner with Operation Snowy Cookie, uh, they didn't say anything about we're asking too much. The people who uh, partner with us through Operation Snowy Cookie, if they got on board with gladness. Because the right people will treat you right. They didn't say anything about, woo, y'all think that's a little too much. They didn't say anything about, yeah, that's, do you know, I mean, we we going through a pandemic, people not working. They didn't bring that energy because the right people said, you got the vision, you got a word from God. We're going to go forth with that word from God. In fact, we're going to be excited about it. We're not going to grumble. We're not going to complain. They were excited to sow. So you look in your corner, you look in your life and you say, are the people that I've surrounded myself with, are they the right people? Uh, let's see what the word of God has to say about this. Uh, Mephibosheth in the Bible, it's actually in, where is it? Um, oh, I actually didn't get the scripture. I'm just going to tell you all the story. Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, and he is the grandson of King Saul. When Mephibosheth was five years old, his father and his grandfather were killed in battle. Now, fearing that the Philistines would uh, come and take this young boy's life. His nurse grabbed him, you know, trying to make sure that he was safe because the kingdom was, the it, the king had been killed. And so they're like, you know, we got to make sure that this little one is, is safe. His nurse grabbed him. On the way out, when she was rushing, she dropped the boy and, and broke his feet or it hurt his feet. It crippled him for the rest of his life. And he ended up living in a place called Lodabar. Now, now the place of Lodabar is called Lodabar. I mean, is is Lodabar, and what that means, it's the place of of nothingness. It's just the place of barrenness. It's it's nothing, right? And so, what happened is Lodabar literally means the land of nothing. So, for years, this this young man lived in a miserable place, surrounded by despair, surrounded by nothingness. And when we've been injured by others or mistreated by others, uh, sometimes even when we've been underappreciated. Sometimes we'll start to internalize that and think that something must be wrong with us. Something, it, I must not be worthy if they're not recognizing who I am, if they're not showing appreciation, if they're not treating me right. Something must be wrong with me. 
or we go to the other extreme and we say something must be wrong with them. I can't trust them. So we get hyper independent. We get hyper independent. I'll do everything by myself. I don't need nobody. Um, let me just tell y'all, hyper independence is a trauma response. When you can't, when you want to allow yourself to um, get some help, when you want to do everything by yourself, you need to go back and say, God, there's some trauma in my life that I need to be healed from. Somebody along the way uh, neglected you. Somebody along the way may have abandoned you or let you down. And so now you, you've built up this wall that said, I'm not going to trust anybody. Um, I'm not going to rely on anybody. I'm going to do this thing by myself. But again, we already said at the beginning, God didn't create us to live on an island. He did not create us to do life alone. And we've got to, again, remember the right people will treat you right. Okay. So some years later, going back to the story, some years later, King David had conquered all of Israel's enemy and he remembered his friend, Jonathan. He remembered this and he said, I want to show uh, some love to to Jonathan's offspring. And so he found he's like, can somebody find out if, if there is any family alive? And they said there's Mephibosheth and he's living down in Lodabar. So he got his people, found Mephibosheth and said, hey, bring bring your son up to to Jerusalem and you can stay there. When we have a word or when we got that word to sow into our pastors. We began getting the word out to to um, everybody who we thought would want to be a part of this opportunity. And we were so excited as we cast the vision and we saw so many people get behind the vision. We could not help but to remember the times that it felt like Lodabar. We could not help but to remember the times when uh, our partners did not respond with a faith field response. And it was a stretch for us to get raised $2,000. We remember those times and we begin to say, man, look what the Lord has done. Now, what, what does this story have to do with it? Mephibosheth was in a situation that he wasn't being appreciated. He wasn't being honored. He was in a bad, des desolate kind of situation. But the right person, King David, came along and he says, get that boy out of that situation. And not only just get him and, and set him up in an apartment, bring him to Jerusalem. Let us treat him as if he is uh, honored. Let us treat him with respect. Let us treat him with high regard because of who he is, right? And so again, you got to remember sometimes when you are looking around and it feels like you're not in the right, uh, nobody is recognized. You say, God, is this where I'm supposed to be? And if he says, yes, you got to say, God, show me where my people are because those people will treat me right. Now we have to remember when discouragement would, would try to hit us and we recognize that God um, has a way to get his work, will into the earth. We had people not only giving, we had people a part of Operation Snowy Cookie encouraging other people to give. We had people literally from all over the globe cheerfully giving to our man and woman of God. Sometimes it may seem like you're not being appreciated, but again, ask God to show you where your people are because your people want to see you win. Your people want to see you win. And when I say your people, these are the people that God has ordained for you to do life with. They want to encourage you. They want to challenge you to grow. The right people, now hear, now hear me, the right people want to see you win, but they are not yes men. The right people want to see you win, but they are not yes men. They are not going to co-sign you living in sin. They're not going to co-sign you living contrary to the word of God. 
we often think that the right people just will be the ones that always make us feel good. The right people are the ones that are going to make you grow so you can see what God said about your life. The right people are not always the ones that's just going to go, girl, live, do what you do. Live how you want to live as long as it feels good. No, the right people are going to challenge you, but they're also going to encourage you. They're also going to love you. They're going to support you. They're going to be in your corner. The right people will speak well of you when you're not around. They're going to pray for you. They're going to... um speak to who you are and not to who your trauma calls you to develop into. They're going to remind you um, of, of what God said about you. He even reminded us that sometimes people can only relate to you when they are in a broken state and they don't know how to respond to you when you are in a healed space. There are some people in your life that only connect to you. They call it trauma bonding. They only are connected and bonded with you when you are responding and living from your trauma responses. But when you get healed, they because they're not healed, they no longer know how to operate. They know how, no longer know how to in, uh, interact with you. But God is saying, I have people for your life. And these people know how to operate and speak to the healed version of you. They know how to uh, how to. Um, Yes, Latanya, release those trauma bonds. The, the right people know how to speak to to the the um, the whole you, the the you that's walking in prosperity. But they also know how to encourage you when you're down, and they know how to pull help pull you up from a negative situation. So don't be afraid to let go of or reprioritize relationships with people who can't relate to you in your healed state. I'm going to say that again. Don't be afraid to let go of or reprioritize relationships with people who don't know how to deal with you from a healed perspective. Some of y'all are stuck and, and stuck on who didn't love you well, who didn't value you, who walked away while the whole time God is saying, while you're focusing on all of those people, God has a plan and a people that are ready and willing to love you well, to do his will. And he has the right people because why? The right people will treat you right. All right. Say that in the comments. The right people will treat you right. Go ahead and begin to pray tonight. Um, God, show me who I need to reprioritize in my life. Show me who I need to step away from. Show me who I need to build relationships with. Show me how to not be afraid to let, let the right people speak into my life. Show me how to let down my guard so that I can be open to correction when the right people are there. Because when God brings the right people, you don't want to let your past tell you to, to shun them and to to keep them at bay. You want to say, God, teach me how to embrace the right people in my life. The people that you've called me to walk in, in covenant with, because as we're walking in covenant, guess what? There, the, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. God says, I'm going to begin to show you. Uh, 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 let me sharpen you a little bit. Let me sharpen you a little bit. One of the things I think it was on Sunday that Pastor Edwin was talking about some people saying that fellowship of champions can, can get annoying because it feels like they're always trying to stretch you. They're always trying to say, you know, I know we said um, to do this one thing, but guess what? I want to I want to tell you that God wants to stretch you further. They're always stretching. Why? Because that's how God does us. That's how God does us. At the beginning of the year, God says you're going to give your man and woman of God fifty thousand dollars each. And we were like, whoa, one hundred thousand dollars. How can a, a ministry this size do some such an amazing thing? And then God messed around and turned around and told us when we were getting ready to do um, the scholarship drive, we were shooting for fifty thousand dollars and we were believing God. God said, yeah, I know I'm stretching you. Right. 
because that's how God is. And so when Fellowship of Champions is trying to stretch us, it's because we're following after our father who is always taking us from faith to faith and from level to level. God wants to stretch us. Go ahead and put in the comments, stretch. Go ahead, put that in the comments, stretch, stretch, stretch. Hallelujah. So we want to believe that what God says is true in our life. Amen. Now let's look at lesson number four that we learned from Operation Snowy Cookie. Um, lesson number four is that money is not a big deal to God. Money is not a big deal to God. Let's look at Matthew, the 17th chapter. We're going to look at the 24th through the 27th verse. I love it. Putting, I love seeing that stretch in the comments. Matthew, the 17th chapter and the 24th through the 27th verse. It says, when they came or when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay temple tax? He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take custom or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. So first of all, I just want to, let's look at that very last. Give that money for my taxes and your taxes. So you mean to tell me you owe, you owe some back taxes and God says, go pull up a fish and it's going to be enough for my taxes and enough for your taxes. Why does God not make a big deal about money? Why does he not sweat about money? Because he knows that heaven has an endless supply and heaven has a plethora of ways of getting money into the earth realm for his believers. It has a multitude of ways. God was never tripping about money because again, he knew that heaven had an endless supply. What's another example? Let's go to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Matthew, the 14th chapter. This is one of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible. Matthew 14, verse 17 through 21. It says, you can read the whole thing, but we're going to start at verse 17. It says, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Go ahead and put that up in the comments. It says, looking up to heaven. It says, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Verse 20 says, they all ate. Put that in comments. Everybody ate. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. All right. This is just good. This is just good. So we what's, what's lesson number four? Money is really not a big deal to God. When there was a need, Jesus said, what do we have? Because we always have to start with that seed, right? So God said, I just, I just can, do we have anything that can represent a seed? Do we have anything that can represent a seed? They said, this little boy got some food. It, it's not a lot. It's just like, 
you know, five fish, two loaves of bread. He said, yeah, that, that's what that'll work. I just need a seed. I just need a seed. God said, I got this seed. And now what am I going to do? I'm going to look up to heaven. Now, this is me imagining. I believe when, when, when Jesus looked up to heaven, he saw that there was more than enough in heaven. And he said, as it is uh, in heaven, so shall it be on earth. He gave thanks because he already saw the provision. You know, when you see something, you know, it's happening, you know, it's coming. You begin to give thanks. He began to give thanks because he says, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's tons of food in heaven. I'm going to say thank you, Father, for that. He understood that we have dual citizenship. We live on earth, but our provision is from heaven. Our provision comes from heaven. Money is not a big deal to God. Because money is not a big deal to God, we have to stop making money a big deal to us. Money is not a big deal to God. We have to stop making money a big deal to us. Pastor Sean taught this in Soul Shift Money, and it is something that has really changed my life. She says, money is the easiest thing to make. Go ahead and put that in the comments. Money is the easiest thing to make. <clears throat> Excuse me. Money is the easiest thing to make. Money is chasing me down. When we put uh, money in the right perspective, we understand that, that that's such an easy, light thing for God to do. The parable of the unjust, unjust steward actually tells us that money is not the true riches. The anointing is the true riches. Money is not the true riches. So many people are, we're so focused on getting money. And God is saying, if you just do what I'm telling you to do and, and walk in the anointing, the money is going to just flow. The money comes. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to magically show up. But God says, do what I'm telling you to do because uh, the true riches is the anointing. And that's where we want. Yes, the anointing is the true. Amen. The anointing is the true. And so I'm not going to get into that. But we want to remember that there is no shortage in heaven. There is no shortage of money. There is no lack of money. Money is, is looking for you. God is looking for people that he can show himself strong to because money is really not a big deal. And when we got that number, uh, that $50,000 for each of our pastors, you know what? That could seem like you, if you just hear that, you're like, whoa, that's a lot. God was like, that's an easy thing for me. That is an easy thing for me. And when we walked out this process, let me just tell you how blessed we were to be a part of the process. When we began to see, you know what? Money really isn't a big deal to God. God, God was not sweating about that little 50,000 at all. So we want to be really uh, aware that God is uh, more than able to do and supply what we need. Say that again. Money is not a big deal to God. Um, let's look at lesson number five. Lesson number five is that we have more supporters than we do haters. We have more supporters than haters. Now, let me pause for a minute and say most of us, if we're really honest, don't really have a lot of haters, not in the true definition of haters. We don't um, have people who are literally out there plotting against us, trying to bring bring a downfall against us. Typically, we call haters people that just don't agree with us. You know, uh, you like my shirt? Mm, it's not my favorite. Are oh, you a hater? That's not a hater. They just don't like your shirt. 
Okay, that's not a hater. Because somebody didn't didn't buy your cookie and you were selling your cookies, it doesn't mean that they are a hater. They maybe they don't like that cookie. Maybe they're allergic to some of your ingredients. Everybody is not a hater. But there are some people out there who genuinely do want to see the, the downfall of some people, right? And so we have to be aware that even in the midst of people that really don't want us to win, you even in the midst of the people who really are going against us, God has more for us than, than there are against us. And we already said that the right people will treat you right, but we also need to understand that you will miss all of your supporters when you're focus on, focusing on those who do not support you. You have more people cheering for you pulling for you and praying for you, then you realize the word of God uh, says, if if he's for us, who can be against us? If God be for me, who can be against me? That question is really rhetorical because it doesn't matter who is against you because God is for you and God is bigger than whoever is the who. You have more on your side than is against you. So I want to tell a quick story. Um, it's found in Second Kings, the four, uh, the sixth chapter, and basically what what's happening is that there was a a country or a people that were coming against the children of God. the The children of Israel was at war, and the leader of that country was getting really, really upset because every time they had a plot against Israel, the prophet. Elisha would, would tell, tell Israel, hey, they're going to try to attack y'all from this angle, so don't go over there. They're going to do this. And the king starts saying, how do they know what's going on over here? How do they know? He said, it's somebody in our camp that, that's a leak. We have somebody in our camp that's telling them. And, and they said, no, no, king, nobody in our camp is telling them what's going on. They got somebody who has an ear to God. They have the prophet over there, and he's telling them what's going on. He's he's telling them what 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 the what the ins and outs of our move, because because God already knows God sees the enemy already. Right. And so Elijah was telling them. So the 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 man from the other country got really mad and he said, you know what? Let's capture Elijah. I'm, I'm tired of him. He's messing up my system. He's messing with my flow. Let's capture him. So now we go into Second Kings, the sixth chapter, and it says, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force. This is the, the other king sending it to capture Elijah. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Elijah said, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us, come on and say that, those who are with us are more than they who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Just, just think about that. You think you're alone. Because you don't realize that God has released angelic hosts and angelic protection all around you. You may not be able to see your angels, but they are standing on guard waiting for you to, to give them a word of, uh, to, to move forward. They are waiting. Not just angels, though. God actually has physical people in the earth realm waiting for you to step into your obedience so that they can support you. Ready for you to start the business because they that's exactly what they've been looking for. Ready for you to step out on faith because they've been praying for you ready for you to do these things but but you're so afraid because you don't see it in the earth realm you don't see it in the natural 
oh, ask God, open my eyes, open my eyes so that I can see the people that you have for me. Because right now it feels like people are against me, but open my eyes so that I can see from a clear heavenly perspective. Not only will your tribe treat you right, but God has those people who are suppo you're supposed to do life with, but you're too comfortable doing life alone. You are too comfortable doing life alone. When you do life alone, guess what? There's no accountability, no guidance, no one to say your thinking is off on this issue. Notice that your tribe, again, we talked about this, is not just full of yes men, but, but your tribe can help to see the, the, the blind spots in your life. They support means they cover you. They not only, you can't only define support as people who agree with you. If you only define support as people who agree with you, you lose out and miss out on the real power of support and the benefit of correction. Mm, the benefits of correction. Can we just, just, what are some benefits of correction? They help us to do better. So you made $5,000 on this on this uh project but when you get corrected you make fifty thousand dollars on the next project you made fifty thousand dollars on this project but when you learn from your mistakes you get a hundred thousand dollars there are benefits to correction and i'm not just talking about financial you're having marital problems and they say you know what if you keep talking to them like that you're gonna keep getting that result but if you will change the way you're communicating with your spouse Ooh, if you will change the way you communicate with your spouse, your, your marriage will be greater. So now you're sitting in a relationship that's much better because you benefited from correction because we're not meant to do life alone. They're saying, you know what? God wants to do amazing things in your life, but you're too guarded. You have to allow your, your vulnerability to show. And, and you get scared and you go, mm -mm, ain't nobody trying to be vulnerable. Ain't nobody trying to look like I'm weak. Ain't nobody trying to do all that. And guess what? When, when you do that with the right people and allow people to correct you and to help you to grow mm. good god we grow hallelujah so know that he already has people there to support you and encourage you and cheer for you and correct you and help you so don't focus on the haters focus on um the god that gave you the promise in the first place all right let's look at lesson number six lesson number six when god gives a vision he provides the provision when God gives you a vision, he provides the provision. The provision God has, uh, has, has given has to be received by faith, which is demonstrated through our obedience. The provision from God has to be received by faith, which is demonstrated through our obedience. When God gave Abraham the vision uh, of becoming a father of many nations, Abraham didn't have a child. He was only believing God for one child, but God gave him a bigger vision. We talked about that earlier because that's how God does. He's not talking about ones and twos. He's not talking about addition. God is always dealing in, in uh, multiplication and, and going to the higher powers. Why? Because God wants to take us from small to large. He wants to increase us more and more all the time. Um, when he finally did get the air, God gave Abraham a tough assignment. Oh, we fixing to talk about this. God gave Abraham a tough assignment. Um, of course, God understood that in order to get multiplication flowing in Abraham's life, there needed to be what? We talked about this earlier. There needed to be a seed. <laughs> he needed a seed sown. So when he saw um, 
And God said, I need you to sacrifice the son that you were believing for. Now, God says, here's the vision. You're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham gets one seed. And then God says, now I need you to sow that seed. How many times when God, you pray for something and God gives you some of it or something that looks like it could be the promise. And God says, now I need you to sow that. And you go, I'm a seed. No, no, no. Not, I can't give that up. That's too precious. I prayed for this. God says, will you trust me? You're like, mm, I don't know. Abraham trusted God. Abraham trusted God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. But anyways, Abraham trusted God. And as he was getting ready to sacrifice the seed that he had believed God for, God says, I see your heart. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and count that as as seed sown. I'm going to go ahead and count that as seed sown. When he saw Abraham's heart to sacrifice, God counted it as seed sown. And when he saw um, he received that seed, then heaven began to bring the increase. When God spoke the word to give Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean that significant seed for their birthday, he had provision already in the house. He had provision already in the house. So so what happened? God already, yes, yes, Everett already put ram in the bush. When Abraham was about to, to, to sow that seed, God said, hold on, look over there, look over there. There's a seed. There's a ram in the bush. Here's your sacrifice. I just needed to know that you would give when I tell you to give. I needed to know that what you think is precious, you will trust me with it. Um, so, again, when we decided to, to sow this seed into our pastors, um, if the committee had not walked out the necessary steps, which was to, to say we're willing to look crazy, we're willing to do whatever. God, you said you could do it. We don't know, but you we know that you said there's seed in the house. We're going to believe God for that. Um, so God's provision is not fairy dust. It doesn't just fall from heaven. Our obedience is our faith that connects us to the provision. Our obedience is our faith that connects us to the provision. Every step of obedience unlocks a new level of provision. Every step of obedience unlocks a new level of provision. When we started, we had people to make pledges. And that was great to see people make pledges. And then people began to give pledges. But then at the end, it started looking a little bit shaky for us for a minute. It was like, mm, we don't have enough, but we just going to believe God. And we didn't have all the money, but we just kept saying what God said. We kept encouraging. We kept preparing for the presentation. Um, even though we didn't have all the resources right then, we kept saying, how are we going to present this? Oh, how do we want to do it like this? Do we want to do it like that? Why? Because we said it doesn't matter what we see in the earth. God gave a word. We've already seen the blade. We're just going to keep moving forth because we already know the harvest is out there. The harvest is out there. So we just kept moving. We kept preparing for the presentation as if we had it. Then January rolls around. It was Pastor Edward's birthday. We had $50,000. We hype. We're excited. We have $50,000. But we didn't have all the money for Pastor Sean's birthday. <laughs> we had $50,000 for Pastor Edwin's birthday, but we didn't have all of the money for Pastor Sean's birthday. Guess what? We didn't need the money for Pastor Sean's birthday on Pastor Edwin's birthday. It wasn't Pastor Sean's birthday. It was Pastor Edwin's birthday. We had what we needed for Pastor Edwin's birthday. So we we begin to to thank God for what he had done. But we know we said we just did this. Um, we had we did fifty thousand dollars. 
So this is what happens. Many times when God gives you the word, you begin to panic when you don't see everything right up front. When God gives you the word, if you don't see all the provision laid out on a silver platter, you begin to panic. But Pastor Edwin taught us years ago, he says, you do not need finishing grace until you start. You don't need finishing grace until you start. God's provision rarely shows up all at once um, up front when the vision is given. We were created to walk by faith. Go ahead and put that in the comments. I was created to walk by faith. He takes us on a journey. And on that journey, we get to see what was in our heart. We get to be pruned and we get to be purified. We get to be pruned and we get to be purified. And if I'm honest, most of us don't want to walk through the process of receiving the provision because we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be exposed. When you begin to do things outside of your comfort zone, it begins to expose your weaknesses. When I started working out again this year, um, it began to expose weakness in my upper body strength. It began to expose those things, right? Um, I could no longer deny that my core was weak. I could no longer deny that my upper body had gotten weak. See, when you sit back and you just say, I'm just praying and believing God, but I'm not doing anything. I'm just believing God. Something's going to happen. God's going to do it. You don't expose that weakness. But when you can expose that weakness, God begins to show you how you can. So so I start to see my upper body was weak. But guess what? My trainer started showing me, me specific exercises I could do to strengthen my upper body. So now I'm already seeing more strength in my upper body because I had to see what was there so that I would know what to work on. Otherwise, you're walking around thinking you're full of faith. But when the when the trial comes, when the tests come, when things happen, you don't you've not built up yourself enough to know that your upper body was weak the whole time. But when, if you expose yourself out there, uh, you get a word and you say, I'm ready to do this. God begins to say, yeah, because you're going to need that upper body strength pretty soon. So let me just go ahead and help you to build that. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about going on and stepping out and, and allowing yourself to do what God tells you to do. And then as you're moving, he's going to begin to show you some stuff that needs to be cut out. He's going to expose some things. That's not because he's trying to be a mean father. That's because he says, if I show you this, that gives us the opportunity for us to, to work on it and to, to get rid of it. It gives us the opportunity to say, oh, you need to, you need to work on, you need to get rid of that anger. You didn't know you were angry as long as you were just around people who were, were smiling. You didn't know you had to do that thing. But God begins to show us that we have to move and allow that pruning to be a part of our lifestyle. Uh, John 15, 1 through 8 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? He prunes. He prunes. Go ahead and say he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Stay with me or remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, we would not have had Operation Snowy Cookie. But if you remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away. Uh, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. 
This is to my father's glory that you should bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Tell your neighbor that pruning is part of the provision package. Pruning is part of the provision package. Why? Because he wants us to be able to sustain the weight of the increase. God says, I need to cut away some things. I need to correct some things because I need you to be strong enough to handle the weight of the increase that I am bringing to you. I need you to be able to handle a healthy relationship. So I'm going to cut off some stuff. I need you to be able to handle the weight of being in charge of a whole department. So I'm going to cut off some stuff. I need you to be able to handle the weight of the increase because if you don't get pruned, you can't handle it and the weight of the increase will crush you. God has to prune us because pruning is a part of the provision package. If you have ever gotten a job, they talk about benefit packages. That's not just the salary. It is the insurance. It's the time off. It is the flexibility. All of those things are included in the package. Pruning is a part of the provision package that God has for us. When God tells you to do something, he already knows where the provision is. I got a few more notes and I see we're almost out of time. Can y'all give me about 15 more minutes? Can I get about 15 more minutes? Um, when God tells you to do something, he already knows where the provision is. First King, the 17th chapter. Let's go there. First Kings 17. We're going to start at verse nine. It says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. <laughs> I'm going to take my time. It says he went to Zarephath. And when uh, when he went to Zarephath, wait a minute. Oh, here we go. Okay. When he went to Zarephath, came to the town, a, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, will you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and said, hey, bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a little loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord of God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour did not get used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. It in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now. What did we say at the beginning of this? We said um, when God gives you a word, he already knows where the provision is going to come from. Before God even told Elijah to go there, he had already told that woman what to do. Now, I'm sure when he told her, she probably had more than enough or it felt like she had plenty. But but as time as this famine kept hitting and it was getting worse and worse and worse, she's like, maybe the man of God, she probably forgot all about that word of God. But then when Elijah said that, I'm sure on her way home, she was like, you know what? I remember. I remember God did tell me to sustain the man of God. So it resonated. So she went home 
and she did what the man of God told her to do and she was supplied. God already knew how he was going to supply uh, Elijah. But here's the cool thing. Here's the really cool thing about God. God was going to supply Elijah. We've been saying this over and over again, but he always needs what? A seed. He It starts with the seed. So God says, I'm going to supply Elijah, but I need to supply this woman right here too. So how can I supply for both of them? If I get her involved in supplying for him, giving a seed, that opens her up for a harvest. If I get her to give seed to Elijah, if she gives seed to the man of God, that opens her up for the harvest. God already knows where your provision is, but if you will sow the seed of obedience, that opens you up for the harvest. God will give you a word. He already knows where the provision is, but the cool thing is he's trying to be good to you and other people. God is out there sounding like Oprah. You get a harvest. You get provision. You get provision. You get provision. Everybody get provision. When we start sowing, Operation Snowy Cookie was so amazing because we were like, oh, God, you get provision. You get provision. You get a house. You get a car. You get this. Because God says, I just needed you to start with the seed. This little seed of $50,000 into Pastor Sean. This little seed of $50,000 into Pastor Edwin. Watch the harvest that comes forth when you obey with the seed of God. So um, when God began to do that, it was just it was it was just really amazing. God gave us that word and um, it was a setup for us to receive provision as well as um, we needed to get that seed in the ground. I set my pledge when we first started. I set my pledge. I, I honored my pledge. But at the end, it started. We were going, OK, we're a little bit short. God began to say, I can give you some more to give more. If, if you want more seed, I'll give you more seed. We, we saw partners time and time again say that looked like they didn't have a, a lot of seed. And they began to say, I want to come on, come on. The gap fillers, Ralph, the, people begin to say, I got a little more. I can give a little bit more. People begin to give more even than they realized that they had to give. God began to fill, fill the partners as we begin to fill the gap. Oh, that's good. So he's looking for us to say yes, so he can do his thing through us and for us. God is looking for your yes, so he can do his thing through us and for us. All right, last lesson. Lesson seven. Well, it's probably not the last lesson. Um, probably not the last lesson, but this is the last lesson we're going to talk about tonight. Lesson seven. The difference between possible and impossible is all about your belief. The difference between possible and impossible is all about your belief. If you looked at what we had done or been able to do for our pastors in the past and then look what Operation Snowy Cookie did, you would have thought it was impossible based on the past. It would if just you would have said not not the people that struggled to give two thousand were able to give fifty thousand and turn back around and give fifty thousand, which is where our shirt comes from. It says encore fifty fifty. Encore, the same God that did it before is able to, well able to do it again. Um, so, so we looked at it, uh, how this time we had a word from God and that word shaped our belief and our expectation. The difference between possible and impossible is all about your belief. Matthew, the ninth chapter, uh, starting in verse 17 says, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and and throws him to, oh, I'm sorry, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. 
I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. And I, I want to get into how the spirits will try to act up, but we won't. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And he says, from childhood. How long y'all been trying to get people to give since the beginning of the ministry? How long How long y'all been telling people it's an honorable thing to sow into to, to your pastors since the beginning of the ministry? Jesus asked the boy, how, I asked the father, how long has he been like this? And he said, from childhood. And he answered, it has thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us if you can. If you can. Come on, Chris, 20 plus years. He said, Jesus says, anything is possible for one who believes. Anything is possible for one who believes. The goal was something that many would have thought was impossible, but we believed. Come on, put that in the comments. But we believed. God has given you a word that seems impossible. But the word itself, if you look at it, it says, I'm possible. The word impossible says, I'm possible. You only see I'm possible when you look through the eyes of faith. When you look through the eyes of fear, you see impossible. It is the same word, but your faith will cause you to see something different. Your faith will cause you to see, oh, that's possible. Your fear will call you to see impossibility. Your faith will cause you to see possibility. So, so what word has God given you that you are not attending to because you don't think it's possible? You have to get into that word and attend to that word. Make it become uh, a vision in your mind because God already has the provision for your vision. God may tell you to go back to school and you say that's impossible because I'm a single parent. That's impossible because I don't know where the money's coming from. That's impossible because I didn't do great the first time around. I'm not that smart. God says, end the unhealthy relationship. And you say, that's impossible. I can't be by myself. I'm too afraid to be alone. God says, um, I want you to start a new job. And you say, that's impossible. I don't have enough skills. You have to change the eyes that you're looking through that situation from. You have to change uh, the way you're looking at it. And it's not, it no longer is impossible, but it's impossible. You have to attend to the word of God and make preparations for that word through your obedience. You have to attend to the word and make preparation for that word through your obedience. Our belief releases God to be God in our life or our belief limits God's ability to be God in our life. Your faith, or I'm sorry, your belief either releases God to be God in your life or your, ability, or your belief limits God in his ability to move. It said there were years that the ministry didn't take in 100,000 for a whole year. Y'all gave that amount as a seed, then did 150 for a scholarship, all the while blessing folks left and right via benevolence offering. You got to understand that when you sow a seed, God says, I can trust these people. Ooh, I'm, I'm almost about to cry. When we sowed that seed, God began to say, I can trust these people. I can trust these. That's a powerful thing when God, the creator of the universe, knows that he can trust you. And when God says, I can trust you, he says, I'm, glad, I'm about to up y'all. I'm about to up y'all. Sunday, God told me when pastors were talking, he says, uh, 
he said, y'all know $100,000 is this ministry's minimum. A hundred thousand, like we we that we don't do things under that. It, like that, that's just such the baseline of what Fellowship of Champions is about right now. That's the baseline of what what Fellowship of Champions is about. Because God says I can trust you, and when God says I can trust you, and He says I'm unwilling to do without a quick prompt to do giver. If you get that word, attend to that word, attend to the word, watch it manifest. Because God is faithful to His word. Oh, what do you what do you do with the word from God that does not match your current situation? You make sure that you turn your situation over to God and watch your situation line up with the word of God. Amen. Amen. That's all we have tonight. I ran over a little bit. I appreciate y'all sticking with me. I appreciate um, this word. Thank you so much. We will go over our um, announcements. I want to I want to pray. A, a word first before we do the announcements and then we're going to end. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. Father, we thank you, God, that you have given each of us words for our individual lives, God, and you've given Fellowship of Champions a collective word that this is our year of great progress. God, we thank you, God, that we don't let that word slip. We will not neglect your word, God. We will stand um, and see your word manifest in our life, God. We're not going to be stuck trying to drag people along, God. But we pray, Father, that you would just help us to open our eyes to see that you are for us. And if you be for us, who can be against us? Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for uh, the seed sown. And we just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the word uh, or for, for staying and listening to the word of God. Yes, this is our year of great progress. We want to remind you of our uh, announcements before we do that. You can give this. Uh, we already talked about Fellowship of Champions is a place where um, God can trust us to do what he's called us to do with the word. Amen. And so if you want to give into this ministry, there are multiple ways. There's Givelify, Pushpay, Tithely, uh, text to give. If you are an international partner, you can um, give via PayPal. So again, we want to make sure that you have that opportunity to give uh, to this ministry because it's good ground. And God, when when God is asking you for a seed, He's really we we literally just talked the whole message about He's trying to set you up to be good to you. So we, you can give, if you want to be a partner, you can go to our website, fill out a form. We don't just assume because you're here that you want to be a partner. So if you want to be a partner of Fellowship of Champions, if this, if you are a first time visitor and this resonated with you and you said, I want to be a part of a group that's walking out the word of God and manifesting the promises, come on, we would love to have you. Um, if you've been coming for a while and you've kind of been thinking about it, go ahead and fill that form out so we can be a partner. When we say partner, we're talking about, um, partnering with with us as we are are praying for you as we're manifesting and doing what God calls us to do. So our announcements, of course, this is Wednesday night. On Wednesday nights, we have Refresh Bible Study at 8 uh, p.m. Central Standard Time. But before that, we have ministry for our teens, which is our Ignite ministry. We have uh, guys and girls are in separate groups for a while. Getting the word of God, plug your teenagers into that. We also have a Victory Zone, which is on demand. So be mindful to plug your teenagers and your kids into um, those outlets to get the word. On Friday mornings, we have um, 
champion circle till Friday mornings at 6.30. We have our champion circle. One of our prayer team members will be praying, praying the word of God. We believe at Fellowship of Champions that something supernatural happens when we pray. And so we uh, we want to just make sure that we're, we're let's try to get 100 people on, on Friday for prayer. Invite people, share the word. Then on Sunday, we have our praise and worship at 9 a.m. with Christian Valley Worships. Her and Elgin Nagel Valley lead us in praise and worship. And then at 9.30, our pastors come with the word of God, with, with boldness, with conviction, with power, with anointing. They bring us that word every Sunday. Monday at, at noon, Pastor Sean on her personal page and her professional page is doing strategies for success where she is giving us um practical insight into the word of God and how to apply that just like we did tonight. Just some words that says, Hey, let's show you how to manifest what God has called you to manifest. It's going to be some pruning and strategy. It's going to be all of those things. And then on Tuesday, we have another time that we pray. Actually, it's the first time in the week that we pray a Tuesday night. We have a Tuesday night prayer at eight o'clock central standard time. So please govern yourself to our announcements. Our huddle is, um, December the 11th, I think, December the 11th, make sure you're coming to the huddle. It's going to be right after the fire conference. If you have not registered for the fire conference, you want to make sure you do that because the fire conference is about to be fire. Um, you want to make sure that you are not missing out on the fire conference. It's uh, December the 9th and the 10th, and then the huddle is going to be December the 12th. We love you guys. We honor you. Thank you for hanging out with us tonight. I went a little bit over. I'm usually the short one, but I wanted to share though that word God gave, and I pray that it bless you. Go be blessed. We love you, and we will see you us tonight. Wednesday, we will see you guys Friday morning. Bye-bye.